For great-looking T-shirts, hoodies, and sweatshirts, the TNT Shop is now open at tntradio.live. This is the Lembit Opic Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Very good morning to you. Four minutes past six, as always, uh, here on TNT Radio. That means only one thing. It's the Lambidopic Show. Uh, great to have you with us, whether you're getting up in the UK or going home in Sydney. Uh, it's a real pleasure to be able to spend a couple of hours looking at the real news, the real stories, the real facts, and our opinions too. But the difference here is we're not forcing our opinions down your throat. The only thing you have to do to get the most out of TNT Radio is think for yourself. Hopefully, uh, you'll enjoy uh, the facts and the information that we give you and perhaps some of the opinions, whether you love them or hate them. Why not get involved in the conversation? Go to tntradio.live. You'll find the chat there. It takes 30 seconds to get involved. And then you really get the most out of the home of free speech all over the world. Uh, coming up in this hour with me, we've got uh, my fellow TNT presenters, Gemma Cooper and then Simeon Boykov sharing their unique take on what's going on around the world. Uh, then after that, we've got the Honourable George Christensen, uh, who is actually a former Australian parliamentary member, a bit like myself. I was a British parliamentary member at one point. And he'll be explaining why the actions and the stance of Penny Wong, who's obviously the Australian Minister for Foreign Affairs, may be dividing her own party over the question of Palestine. Uh, that's been a recurring theme all over the world. So I'm looking forward very much to hear hearing what George Christensen has, has to say about that. Then we swing across to the United Kingdom, where a different kind of division has been taking place uh, for reasons which nobody really understands. Uh, the current Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, has appointed a former Prime Minister, and that's David Cameron, uh, as the Minister for Foreign Affairs. Pretty much the same job as Penny Wong's doing in Australia. Why has he done this? Is it possible that he hasn't noticed if his forerunner does better than he does, he's going to look even worse than he does already? Uh, we've got Linda Jack, who is a member of the Liberal Democrats, a former coalition party with David Cameron's uh, Conservatives, uh, to give her a unique take on that as well. Uh, all of that coming up in this hour. Uh, a couple of stories that I've noticed today, uh, perhaps one of the most remarkable for me, is this this ongoing debate uh, about whether uh, there's hypocrisy in the uh, town or city hall of, of London. Sadiq Khan has claimed that, or at least he's been presiding over a group that claims that we should make one flight every three years. But lo and behold, it turns out, as reported in the Mail Online and other newspapers, that uh, as they call him, the hypocrite Sadiq Khan and his team have racked up more than 430,000 air miles since he was elected London mayor in 2016. So it's a classic case of one rule for one, one rule for the other, but it gets better, my friends. He actually flew over with five of his buddies to a climate conference in America. Yes, he flew. He didn't even take a sailing boat like little Greta did uh, to make a point. Uh, so he's gone all the way over there to tell us not to fly. I know I come back to this again and again, but that's because in the 1960s, the great revolution, the great liberation of the working classes was the ability to go abroad on holiday. But now that's been taken away so that Sadiq Khan and his friends can enjoy the skies for themselves. I wonder what you make of that. Maybe you think it's all right. 
on the same theme. Extinction Rebellion Billionaire funds Khan Climate Network. Yes, indeed. This guy, uh, his name's uh, Sir Christopher Hone. He's a multimillionaire and he makes multi-billionaire. He makes multi-million pound donations to Extinction Rebellion. It is one of those organizations which makes life really difficult for ordinary people who just want to get to work and don't really appreciate uh, being held up. Uh, well, apparently these billionaires have nothing better to do with their money than throw it into these alleged climate crisis saviors. Two problems with that. Number one, there isn't a climate crisis. And the bigger question for me is, if he is able to be a billionaire with his understanding of science, why am I not a millionaire? Oh, maybe the answer is to say there's a climate crisis and rake it in. Well, I'm sure he's got his own reasons for funding uh, Extinction Rebellion. How do you feel about that? Billionaires funding millions of pounds to organizations that disrupt ordinary life all over the world. Do you let me know. Uh, go to the uh, chat box. That's at uh, tntradio.live. Uh, you can also find phone numbers there. If I've got time, then I'll be able to get you onto the show in that way too. Uh, all of that with me, Lembitopic, here on TNT Radio. The news and talk you need. It's more than just opinions. It's facts. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And that's the difference. We share facts, but we also share opinions. And we don't dress the two things up as the same thing. Isn't that a refreshing change? Somebody else who is loaded with facts and opinions and tea in equal measure. It's Gemma Cooper. Good morning, Gemma. How are you today? Good morning. Morning, Lambert. Yes, very well, thank you. And I'm 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 glad that you mentioned uh, Sir Christopher Hone there because that's a story that was kicking around at the tail end of yesterday, and um, then was dominated by the Cameron return, which we'll get onto in a minute because that's the only story really doing the rounds here in the UK this morning. But yeah, Christopher Hone doesn't also give to in- Extinction Rebellion. I think you you just touched on it there. He's also this key funder of this C40 cities of which of their global initiative of which Khan is a member and he gives money to Khan's climate network as part of this initiative 46 million to the C40 project which is all the mayors around the world who signed up to the climate agenda and it does rather make you wonder you know if you're tuning into TNT for the first time and you hear the kind of stuff we talk about and you you hear us say things like you know there's a global control network and a shadowy cabal of billionaires telling us all what to do well this story illustrates that there is a billionaire telling us all what to do giving all this money to Extinction Rebellion, giving all the money to the, the C40 Cities project, you know, 46 million. So that money's not just going to Khan, that's going to the other mayors around the world who are all being tasked with implementing travel restrictions and restriction of movement. Um, and so, yeah, he's a billionaire. He's funding this project. Conspiracy? I don't know. The facts seem to <laughs> say otherwise. So uh, if you're tuning in for the first time, we do take a particular editorial stance here on this station, but it is backed up by facts. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, so Christopher Hone, activist investor, surely if you're going to fight the climate, a bit of research and some alternative energy projects might be a bit of a better way to spend your money. But no, let's form, let's fund activism. Let's fund things that get people's backs up. Let's create division. You know, it's all very carefully orchestrated, but it is happening. It is happening. I'm, I'm just looking down to check. And there's a story here about Sir Christopher Hone. Hedge, hedge fund manager's dog travels in higher style than he does. And this is all about private jets. Apparently, it's fine for billionaires who fund climate emergency campaigners to fly around in business jets. Well, we're all meant to fly not more than once every three years. It's this hypocrisy. We keep coming back to this, Gemma. When Khan, the mayor of London, flies with five of his mates 
over to New York, I think it was New York, for a climate conference. And nobody seems to think this is ironic. I don't mind them flying, but I really object to them telling me that I can't. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think it's as much about hypocrisy, uh, Lambert, as about control. It is about control. When you think about what they're trying to implement and what they're trying to do, um, it, it isn't hypocrisy. It's it's very dangerous where it's going to lead. We will be ghettoed into these 15-minute zones, 20-minute neighborhoods for our own good, ostensibly, while everybody else above us carries on doing exactly what they want. So it's a, it's more than hypocrisy. I, I hope that people are seeing through it, but I think a lot of people, they have that kind of dual kind of like, because people think so low of themselves, which we're conditioned to think that we're nothing and those above us are something. And that goes back to the classroom that we think, oh yeah, well, we're, we're worthless and we should do what we're told, you know, and they're the politicians and they've got a difficult mm -hmm. job to do. And, you know, we've got to cut them some slack and they're, they're only doing their best. Mm -hmm. And that's, that is still how a lot of people out there in world matrix think, because that's how we're conditioned to think, because we have to be conditioned to think like that. Otherwise we can't be controlled. Luckily, a lot of people now have taken the red pill, as we know, otherwise TNT wouldn't be here. And they go, no, we're not having it. We're not having it. How you push back against it? Well, that it, that's a personal choice. Uh, Non-compliance is a personal choice, however you want to do it. I just hope we see enough people not complying uh, and not taking it lying down that they can fly and we can't. And people are too used to it as well. People live for their two-week holidays. I think that might be enough to yeah. push back against the globalists. It might. It might. Something as simple as two weeks in the sun. People don't want to lose that here in the UK because our weather's so crap. So that might work. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I can't tell if Owen himself, I'm, I'm sure I can find the data, but we're busy. And I can't tell if he himself flies. But it's, the story seems to say that he, he hired on these aircraft for his dog. <laughs> I just find it so difficult to believe that a massive hedge fund manager is able to uh, go on about the environment when the hedge funds surely are at least partially invested in things which generate CO2. Now, as I say, to stress like you, Gemma, I have no issue with people making CO2. I have a big issue with people making trouble for the rest of us who create CO2. And what's the biggest polluter? What's the biggest polluter in our lives, Gemma? It's making children. But they don't talk about that. Boris Johnson moaning about the environment when he's got about 10 kids. This is the irony. My little motorbike probably doesn't produce as much pollution as Boris Johnson's family. But there we go. Uh, you wanted to talk about, speaking of Boris Johnson, you want to talk about uh, another prime, former prime minister who's come back to work. Well, quite. I mean, it's the only story here in the UK this morning. And obviously the news broke yesterday, kind of yesterday lunchtime. And we, we did discuss it on, a, on a, the Freeman Report. Um, obviously, James Freeman used to be a, a former MEP, so, and you're a former MP. So to get your take on this would be absolutely delightful, Lembeck. And the new cabinet, which, as you rightly say, involves David Cameron as the foreign secretary now after his shock appointment yesterday, made a lord so he could take the position, uh, meets for the first time today. And I just wonder, you know, Cameron's going to walk back in to number 10 with a, with a position in the cabinet. But I wonder if it's that classic thing because they're all such egotistical narcissists, aren't they, politicians? Is it the case of, you know, once a PM, always a PM, and he'll kind of think, oh, yeah, I'm back, I'm running the show, you know, and, and the way he's been presented <laughs> in the British media, he's, they, he looks like he's back in the, in the position of head of, head, of, head of government. That's how they're presenting it. Um, and, and you have to wonder, is this desperation on Rishi Sunak's part, innovation on his part, or is it a complete distraction? to make everybody in their droves vote for Labour so that the Tories can think, oh, thank God, we can have a rest from all the mess. Um, and also to give the public 
the voting public, whoever still votes here in the UK, uh, the illusion of choice, you know, the Tories have got it so wrong, right, all back to Labour, they'll get everything sorted out, you know, left, right, black, red, blue, white, whatever. Um, and then, of course, Labour, much more inclined to push globalist policies related to climate through than the Tories are. So that could be really dangerous for us, especially, you know, if we go back to what we're talking about, about Clark Khan and all of his stuff. So I just wonder what's, you know, you look at what's presented to us and then you think, well, what's really going on? Because what's presented to us and what's really going on, are obviously diametrically opposed when it comes to politics, I think. So, yeah, I'd like to know what your take on this is, because you uh, have experience in the heart of government. Uh, just one thing, the research team, while we've been on air, has pointed out that Sir Christopher Hone, the chap who's funding uh, Extinction Rebellion and others, and and Khan with his environment, apparently bought a share in Heathrow Airport. <laughs> I'll have to look into that <laughs> later, but I think I'll probably come back to that one. Uh, thanks, Christopher. It's a great airport. But why are you using it, pal? Anyway, uh, <laughs> in terms of what you're asking me, uh, I'm amazed by the fact that David Cameron the man who presided over his failed attempt to keep the UK in the European Union and then stormed off when he said he wasn't going to storm off. He resigned when he said he was going to carry on as an MP, has been reappointed into foreign affairs, the very position which is all totally altered because he messed up his own referendum outcome. Uh, I'm actually so curious about this, Gemma, that I've got three guests on it today. Uh, we've got uh, a professor, Professor uh, uh, Russell Deacon, who's an uh, independent uh, a political professor, he'll be talking about the motivations. What might Rishi Sunak have been thinking, if at all, to make this decision? Um, we've also got uh, someone from UKIP, uh, that's uh, uh, Bishop Dewar. He might have something to say about the fact that our foreign affairs uh, minister was the failed prime minister when it came to remain. And then Linda Jack, who's uh, who a liberal Democrat, who's always opposed to the deal between the Lib Dems and the Conservatives presided over by David Cameron. So my opinion is that Rishi Sunak is desperate. My feeling is that he's now throwing everything at trying to reduce the loss. I don't think he thinks he can win the next election, reduce the loss. But Gemma, how will it look to you if it turns out that David Cameron is performing better than Sunak. What will you think then? Well, I mean, it's a possibility. He's a seasoned politician, isn't he? It's not like he doesn't know what he's doing. And the game of politics is one that I think, you know, a lot of people can play very well if you're a certain mindset. Uh, my fear is, you know, the situation in the Middle East is really, you know, dangerous. And he didn't do too well on Libya. He came under fire for that. And I wonder how good he's actually just going to be at kind of pouring calm oil on troubled waters or is he going to make it worse i um, mean it's a really really significant position to hold in this current um global climate i'm just worried about that really like is he going to do any good or is he going to just use it for grandstanding and showboating like all the other global politicians have been doing you know biden flying in look at me look at me i you know that's my fear the situation in the middle east is really 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 complicated it's dangerous it's escalating um so yeah well how's he going to be in the role itself i wonder uh, well, certainly going to be covering that a lot in these two hours. Uh, so my opinion is it's a desperate measure from a sinking prime minister. Uh, but maybe 
it's more subtle than that. We'll find out from our guests, particularly our independent-minded professor, uh, Russell Deacon, in the second hour. Uh, thanks, Gemma. Uh, if you've got a view about this, perhaps if you are David Cameron, or if you're BC Sunak, why not tell us here on TNT Radio uh, what your plans are and why you made the appointment? Well, one prime minister employing another former prime minister is an unusual, it's certainly a first in my political experience. Uh, coming up next, uh, we've got Simeon Boykoff. He'll be talking about what's going on or not going on on Sydney Harbour Bridge. Uh, that's all with me, Lembitopic, on TNT Radio. You should hear what George Eliasson is talking about. Donald Trump's wolves. Now, we've talked about the Colorado case, the 14th Amendment case, and the judge has denied uh, the motion to dismiss. Now, if you don't remember, the suit cites the 14th Amendment clause banning those who participate or assist in the insurrection from taking office. And they're making this legal argument based on Trump's actions before and on January 6th. And when they claim that the Thousands of his supporters were creating an act of sedition at the Capitol. During January 6th, um, Trump actually offered to call the National Guard in. He told the protesters to keep things peaceful. And this is all public knowledge. This isn't a political action. They're trying to control once again who can run for the office of president and who cannot. War of the Worlds with George Eliason on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. As a combat wounded veteran, I know how hard it is to come home and build a meaningful life. When I was in Iraq, our vehicle was hit. A rocket propelled grenade exploded right under my seat. Traumatic brain injury, a fractured pelvis, severe burns. They didn't think I was going to make it. I had to learn to walk again and live with the scars, both visible and invisible. DAV helps veterans like LaToya get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year in life-changing ways. With DAV on my side, I was able to pursue my dreams. If my story can touch a heart, it can change a life. My victory is overcoming my wounds so I can help other veterans. LaToya Lucas, may your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Our liberty depends on the freedom of the press, and that cannot be limited without being lost. Lighting the fuse for freedom. TNT Radio. Lambertopic with you for about the next 100 minutes. It's just after 20 past six in the UK, uh, at 10 or 11 hours or a little bit less if you're in Perth. Uh, thanks very much for joining me. Uh, we're covering a lot of stories today. Uh, so we're going to be cantering through what's happening in Australia and also in the UK. Uh, but later on, we're going to be talking about uh, what the Honourable George Christensen thinks about Penny Wong's support uh, for Palestine. Is it splitting her party? Uh, you tell me as well. You can join me on tntradio.live. Go to the chat. Love to hear your points of view or get some of your comments in as well. Uh, Robert says, science of money, Lembo. Yeah, that's true, actually. Uh, Mogden says, David Cameron, just another globalist snake. Well, <laughs> David, if you want your right to reply, just get up and give us a call. Uh, love to hear from you. Keep your calls and comments coming. Uh, next up, we've got Simeon Boykoff, fellow TNT presenter. Simeon, good afternoon to you. What's going on in Australian politics? Good afternoon, Lambert. It's another uh, day of uh, doom for the Australian government. Uh, Peter Costello, <laughs> the former Australian uh, treasurer, he was a treasurer under the uh, government uh, during John Howard's day. And he's uh, come out with 
an attack on the nation's migration problem, the migration uh, dilemma that we have in this country. Peter Castello insisting that immigration uh, is good for the country, but the big but is uh, on the balance that it is adding to the demand and the stress uh, through the economy, particularly in housing. And we have Australians who are not making ends meet, Australians who are behind on repayments because of the government's mismanagement of uh, the cost of living, the financial crisis in this country, the uh, record high interest rates. Uh, and after paying 37% in tax, after paying for petrol, after paying for a grocery bill, after paying for all these expensive cost of living factors, uh, childcare, schools, uh, just going to Woolworths and Coles. You know, you wouldn't get much change uh, out of, what, what does $100 get you these days? Two shopping bags. It used to get you a full shopping cart. Now, this this whole uh, situation is leading to uh, a situation where, according to Peter Costello, it's eroding any benefit uh, that Australia is getting from uh, lifting the pool of skilled workers or underpinning growth. So these skilled workers are coming into the country and they are simply just making it too difficult. Rents are going high. Uh, the price prices of housing is extremely high. And this uh, is linked directly to something that the boss of ANZ has said today. He's issued a terrifying warning, ANZ being one of the major four banks in this country. Uh, very alarming. The boss of the ANZ saying first home buyers need to be rich to get a loan. So how can you be a first home buyer? If you're a 18 year old, a 19 year old, a 20 year old, you've just, you know, entered uni, you've got your first sort of um job, you've you've you're a young couple, you've got a wife or a husband or whatever it is, you've you're not in a position to enter the housing market. Now, according to uh, the uh, figures, it's actually the boomers in Australia, the generation of the 1950s and 60s who uh, have the most savings and that the uh, young people in Australia simply have no chance. The average Australian mortgage has soared in the last decade from about 350,000 uh, nine years ago to over 600,000 this year. That's according to the Australian Bureau of Statistics. So debt is higher than ever, uh, but uh, home, first home buyers have been encouraged to enter the market. Uh, under Scott Morrison, if you rewind back in the days of the previous prime minister, his uh, slogan was to get every single person into a loan, whether you're a single mum uh, with five kids, uh, you know, without a job, we'll get you a loan. And that was in the days when the interest rates were less than 1%. It's all happy days, there's no problems. But now, of course, after 13 interest rate hikes in 18 months, monthly payments are just astronomical. Mm, according to data the, uh, from CanStar, the average mortgage bill was $2,570, which has now risen to a whopping $4,151 at the current interest rates. I mean, $4,151. If you're looking at a person making a wage of $1,000 or $1,500 or even $2,000 a week, that's all going to taxes, to mortgages. We call Australia the lucky country. It's no longer the lucky country, those people who can't afford to buy a house looking to the rental market, well, guess what? There are rental shortages everywhere. With uh, The government and Albanese just having come back from China is always keen to offer Australian real estate to international buyers. But what does that leave the average Aussie? It isn't fair. The average Aussie has had enough and he wants his share. Unfortunately, this government does not really have any interest for the people. The, the main reason for bringing in so much skilled workers now is because they didn't let the vaccinated work. So it all comes back to the government's mismanagement of COVID in the last few years. And speaking of that, there's another breaking story but now. Just, uh, be just before you go on, there's one of the things that you said there was a, a friend of mine said, he went to get a loan because he's having trouble paying his, his bills. And the bank said, well, you're not going to give you a loan because you haven't got much money. He said, 
that's why I need the damn loan. <laughs> but it's just completely circular. And let's remember the banks were instrumental in causing these problems in the first place while the government sat on their hands. Anyway, sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah, no, absolutely. You're 100% right. So it's a, a, not a win-win situation. It's a lose-lose situation. And of yeah. course, if the people are doing it tough, the government's going to make less earnings in tax, putting more pressure on people. And it's just a slap in the face when the government's increasing immigration because of climate change from Tuvalu or wherever it may be. Now, speaking of protesting and speaking of uh, public sentiment, uh, the New South Wales Police Force have slammed a proposal this weekend, the 18th of November, which was scheduled uh, to take place uh, a march, a rally across the Harbour Bridge uh, by the Worldwide Freedom Rally Movement in Sydney, something which is very familiar to our listeners. Uh, the police have warned that they are blocking this attempt. Um, they Transport New South Wales, uh, in particular, uh, the manager for transport operations planning has warned that they have received similar requests from police from various activist groups and their standard response collated from the transport new south wales sydney harbour bridge stakeholders which are shb security shb asset shb maintenance uh, they are not supporting any protest activities on the shb asset for the following reasons before we go any further what is shb well that's another thing where everything around privatization is wrong the Sydney Harbour Bridge makes millions of dollars a day in tolls, and they don't want that to be blocked. Now, they've said now that the Sydney Harbour Bridge is classified as a state highway with 70 kilometre an hour speed limits, which prohibits any public assembly or gathering on the SHB walkway for safety reasons, unless it's run as a major event, unless you're part of a pride rally or something dubious like that, then they'll allow you. Of course, anything woke is okay with the government. But if you're protesting for freedom, which the people in Sydney are planning to do this Saturday, they are now warning uh, that they will use their uh, very extreme and serious police powers uh, that they have enacted. Now, I remind everybody that police powers were brought in quite recently, uh, and it's because of the lefties, because of their sort of climate change protests, but which now makes it illegal to block any major roads, highways, bridges, and the uh, penalty which you're looking for under the Summary Offences Act is quite serious. Uh, they are threatening $22,000 fines, two years in jail. Now, the plot twist is that they've only announced this to us four days out. Today is Tuesday, the 14th of November. This paperwork has been uh, uh, sent to the Worldwide Freedom Rally, which means four days out. And by law, to have a protest, you must inform police seven days out. So effectively, I'm very sorry to announce that the police have uh, outmaneuvered the Freedom Rally this time. And unfortunately, uh, the Saturday's planned Freedom Rally, the 18th of November this Saturday in Sydney, will not be going ahead because we can't risk people being arrested, given two years jail. Furthermore, because we don't have seven days now to launch, uh, to, to lodge the notice of intention to public assembly, which must be lodged seven days before, the assembly would be unlawful. So we've decided to let everybody know today on TNT Radio, we're making a exclusive announcement to all our Freedom Party uh, and Freedom uh, people out there in the community. Uh, the event on this Saturday will be cancelled. Nevertheless, the police are going to have their hands full because the very next day on the 19th of November, an estimated 50,000 protests will be marching uh, for Palestine. And although that cause is a little bit different to the Freedom Rally cause, uh, people are free to go to that if they wish. And... Uh, I've heard that Adelaide will not be having a freedom of rally either. Neither will Melbourne, or they're going to having a small one at Parliament House, I think, at 12 o'clock at Parliament House. Perth is going ahead. Brisbane is going ahead this Friday evening, the 17th uh, of November. And that's going to be happening in Brisbane, if you're interested, at 5 o'clock uh, in Brisbane going ahead. But unfortunately, Sydney, 
cancelled. We can't risk people being arrested. That would be improper of us. So there's a warning to everybody. Share this and let everyone know Sydney is not going ahead. The police have uh, outmaneuvered us this time. Thank you, Simeon. Uh, but uh, freedom's like a lion. Once it's released, it tends to look after itself. One other little factoid for you. The sinking islands of Tuvalu since the mid-1970s have gained just under 3% in land area. I'll tell you more about that later. Thank you, Simeon. Uh, what Thank do you, you think? Always a pleasure. Uh, it's good to see you, Simeon. Uh, what do you think about what Simeon said? How do you feel about freedom rallies? Not being free to go to Freedom Rallies. I think that's the irony there. Uh, let me know on tntradio.live. Coming up next, we're going to talk about that Palestinian uh, point. Uh, Penny Wong is causing quite a lot of uh, split uh, views uh, in her own party. Uh, all of that with me, Len Topic, here on TNT Radio. TNT Radio News. News Flash! Yeah. Yeah. Now, without further ado... Uh, Matt Boland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Turkey as president has vowed to support the reconstruction and recovery of Gaza, but says the final bill for the rebuild will rest with Israel. Donald Trump's attorney has confirmed the former president will file for a mistrial in the civil fraud case against him. And New York is creating a ministry of truth, the state's Democratic governor announcing it's collecting data from surveillance efforts on social media. Do you have an upcoming community event, rally, march, festival or fundraiser that could do with some free publicity? TNT Radio wants to promote it for you. Simply visit the What's On Events calendar on the TNT Radio website and submit your event details and we'll get the word out, helping you make a difference on TNT Radio. Lemidopic with you. It's just after half past six in the morning here in the United Kingdom, uh, between nine and uh, 11 hours later uh, across Australia, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the home of free speech, TNT Radio, uh, where we want your points of view as well. Uh, go to the TNT uh, live, uh, sorry, tntradio.live uh, website and you can find the chat there. Do get involved in the conversation. Uh, Mogden says David Cameron's just another globalist snake. We'll be talking about David Cameron in about 15 minutes. Why has a current prime minister in the UK employed a former prime minister in foreign affairs when the former prime minister up foreign affairs well we'll have a discussion about that in a minute but let's stay in australia for now and uh, we're joined now by the honorable george christensen uh, a former australian uh, parliament member and uh, someone who can perhaps explain to me uh, what's going on with penny wong's comments about palestine uh, george thanks for joining us as one former british member of parliament to a former australian uh, member of parliament i feel your pain how are you doing <laughs> very good Lambert. thank you very much uh, good to be on your show it's grand, and you'll be on many times in the future, I'm sure. Let's start with uh, this strange, well, I'm, I'm saying it's strange, but curious position, very strong and entrenched position, as far as I can see, from Penny Wong uh, uh, about Israel. What is she saying and why is she saying it? Well, look, I think that uh, we, we've got a curious situation in Australia, which has been allowed to fester for a long time, and that is we've got a bunch of people here, largely in Labour-held seats, who uh, really don't have their loyalties to this country. They have their loyalties to other countries. And to, to a degree, uh, I think Labor's going to play to that base. And uh, that's what we're seeing from Penny Wong. Sure enough, the uh, uh, the very hard left of the Labor Party, in fact, not even the hard left, just even the soft left, have run campaigns against Israel for some time now. So again, I think she's playing to that base as well. But I've got to say that uh, I'm someone, Lebert, who has the view that probably annoys 
people on all sides of this, so it possibly is the right, uh, right, right, right view then if it annoys everyone. And that is that, uh, you know, I sort of have a bit of sympathy with what Penny Wong is saying that really there needs to be a, a, a real look at the, the, the targeting deliberately or not deliberately of, of civilians. Um, and that goes for all sides. So I think that's what she's saying, but it has created quite a controversy here in Australia because it has been interpreted as Israel. You've got to uh, you've got to cease fire. That's how it's been interpreted. I think a lot of people will support what Penny Wong's saying. What I find interesting about this, oh, and also you said um, it's, it's sometimes useful to annoy people. I managed to annoy my constituents. That wasn't the smartest <laughs> thing I ever did in my life. I know the feeling. I did that sometimes too. <laughs> but you have, yeah, you, have to say, you have to say what's right, though, uh, whether it annoys people or not. And uh, so I feel your pain too, Levitt. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is where uh, Penny Wong's comments lead me. To what extent is the Labour Party itself divided on this issue? Very, very. I think that you will find there is a variety of views within the Labour caucus uh, on this matter. Uh, there would be some that would be, you know, uh, pull up the bootstraps where all the way with Israel, uh, where there are others who would be vehemently anti-Israel that probably think that Israel shouldn't exist. So that's what you've got in one party there. Um, and you can understand, given that, um, why Wong is sort of obfuscating here. Her, her, her statement is very, very having a bet each way. And uh, that often is the problem, not just with the <laughs> Labor Party, but with mainstream politics these days. Uh, my view on it, for what it's worth, Lambert, is if I was the foreign minister, I would be saying that uh, what Hamas did is an absolute atrocity, that they indeed are terrorists and they should be brought to justice. But at the same time, uh, that there should be no direct or indirect targeting of civilians by a modern state that calls itself a democracy. And, you know, I hear this argument. That's very close to what Wong's saying, actually. It's probably a little bit stronger. But but, but uh, I hear this argument from those who are, again, all the way with Israel, that, oh, well, Hamas hide behind things like hospitals and schools and civilian institutions. But let me just, uh, I said this to Ross Cameron the other day on, on TNT radio. If we just switch uh, Hamas with a bank robber and we have a bank robber that's taken hostages, do the police just simply walk into the bank and start shooting indiscriminately even at the hostages just because the bank robbers are behind them? I think the answer clearly is no, and there would be hell to pay if that happened. <laughs> so that's what we got to consider with this as well. So I'm not, I'm not, Pro Hamas. I'm certainly not pro Hamas. They're terrorists. I'm. 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 I think Israel needs to calm down uh, a, a bit with this situation uh, and look at what's happening with civilian casualties. But the big problem in Australia, but just like you have in the UK, we have imported a problem from the Middle East to our own countries. Uh, they are raging in the streets at the moment. They are waving flags that are not the flags of the nation that they're protesting in. And quite frankly, I don't care on what side they are. If you're going to wave a foreign flag, perhaps bugger off to that foreign country. Hmm. Now, the, the First of all, uh, your position is unambiguous. And it seems to me Penny Wong's taken the, the view to, to, as you said yourself, hedge her bets. Yes. Uh, more than the actual position she's taken, your experience and mine as parliamentarians is surely the same. When you try to run with the fox and the hounds, then you tend to annoy both sides rather than <laughs> being affected by either. 
and she has, uh, you know, like the the the, um, the Jewish lobby in Australia has certainly come out condemning uh, Wong's statements, um, calling it uh, moral equivalence, um, and and yet there there is no love from the Islamists uh, in Australia for the Australian government. We had some uh, radical preacher in a mosque just last week who um, posted his. Uh, sermon, uh, if I can call it that, on the uh, on the internet, and uh, it was attacking the prime minister, attacking the Australian government as just being part of the, uh, uh, the pro-Jewish um, lobby. So, you know, again, their position has just absolutely uh, not 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 been one on any side. If you were to make a prediction, finally, uh, George, would you say that she will prevail in terms of her position for her party or the party remain split? I think she will prevail, Penny Wong. Uh, I mean, I served in the parliament with her, although she was in the upper house uh, and I was in the lower house for quite some time, for uh, over a decade. And uh, she, she has a lot of power within the Labor Party. Um, so I think that Penny Wong's position will be the official government position, despite what some backbenchers might um, like or dislike about it. And uh, uh, that's um, that's obviously an issue to, to Israel because uh, therefore Australia is one of the few countries that's out there saying, um, look, you've got to be, you, we are concerned about the civilian casualties here. Yeah, one of the uh, interesting uh, parallels is that uh, the leader of the Labour Party in the United Kingdom, the opposition party, Keir yeah. Starmer, he's caused the same problem <clears throat> in a different way because he's come out essentially uh, not essentially saying, I don't want a ceasefire, causing her his pro-Palestinian politicians to get quite angry. So it seems you travel 20,000 kilometres, you get the opposite answer from a different Labour Party. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, they're not known. They're not known for being uh, straight on the issues. That's for sure, Lambert. So uh, uh, it's uh, and look, you know, um, obviously there might be sympathies for Israel, uh, full stop, from uh, the opposition leader in your country, who'll probably go on to be prime minister by the looks of it. Yeah, I think so. That's probably the case, and uh, perhaps it's better for him to have the arguments this year than next year. But we'll have to wait and see. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much. Really good to speak with you. We'll talk with you again very soon. Uh, that's uh, the Honourable George Thanks. Christensen. Uh, great to speak to him. Uh, he's got some one, thing, one at least one thing in common with me. We're both former parliamentarians. And the great thing about being a former parliamentarian is, is that you can say what you really think. I want you to do the same. Uh, why not get involved uh, in the chat on the uh, tntradio.live uh, chat room? Uh, plenty of comments here. Uh, let me just get through a few of them. Uh, Elena says the massacre has to stop. And these bombings mainly kill innocent people and children. It's ethnic cleansing. I like your analogy about the bank robber, uh, um, uh, Chris, as well. I thought that was absolutely superb earlier on. Um, it wasn't Chris, but <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The bank robber point was absolutely fantastic, uh, as George said. Um, I want to, maybe you have a different view, but please let me know. Uh, Jethro says, Penny Wong pulls Albo's strings. So uh, Jethro, no doubt that Penny's in charge there. She wears the pants in the Labour Party. Do you agree? Uh, maybe you are in the Labour Party. Feel free to have your right to reply. Do get in touch with me. Uh, go to tntradio.live. Uh, the chat is there. If you're listening, that's great. But if you're chatting, it's better. That's when you really get the the other subtexts which go on here. Uh, coming up next, we're going to go to British politics and find out why a current Conservative Member of Parliament and Prime Minister would employ a former Conservative Member of Parliament. 
and Prime Minister. All of that with me, Lemotopic, right here on TNT Radio. Eat, drink, and be merry. Turns out the media was totally wrong about climate change and food production. From Washington, D.C., this is the Morano Minute with your host, TNT Radio's Mark Morano. Food crops are booming despite the alleged climate emergency. The United States sees the biggest corn harvest ever. Bloomberg News reported so much for the summer of drought and extreme heat. Quote, this year's corn harvest was the biggest ever. Farmers now have corn coming out of their ears. But that's not all. Global yields of rice, wheat, and corn have surged by a whopping 50% in the last 30 years as carbon dioxide has risen. Planet Earth is truly greening. As deserts shrink, even NASA has acknowledged the greening of planet Earth. The lesson here? The only thing we have to fear is not climate change, but climate policy. This is Mark Morano for the Morano Minute on TNT Radio. Challenging the consensus and debunking the narrative. This is Viewpoint. In fiscal year 2019, 2,800 pounds of fentanyl was seized at the U.S.-Mexico border. The following year, £4,800 was seized, and in fiscal year 2021, seizures totaled £11,200. The figures indicate fentanyl seizures under Biden quadrupled since fiscal year 2019 when Trump was in office. Fentanyl is primarily flown from China to Mexico before the Mexican cartels traffic it across the southern border. Only a fraction of fentanyl trafficked across the border is seized by Department of Homeland Security. The Center for Disease Control, CDC, reported that more than 100,000 Americans died from drug overdoses in the past 12 months, and two-thirds of those deaths were linked to fentanyl. Lembit Opic on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Good morning to you if you the United Kingdom. It's quarter to seven. Uh, so thank you for joining me as you're getting up, out and about. Uh, good afternoon uh, if you're in Sydney, Melbourne, uh, pretty much anywhere in Australia. Uh, do get involved in the chat. I'm interested to know whether you think that Penny, uh, Penny Wong really does pull the strings in the Labour Party. And if so, do you agree with where she's taking the Labour Party? Does she pull Albo's strings? That's another question I'd like to ask. Uh, well, uh, the same sort of question is being asked in the UK at the moment. Uh, who is pulling Rishi Sunak's strings? And is it possible that a former prime minister, the man who presided over Britain's departure from the European Union, even though he himself was campaigning to remain, is pulling Rishi strings or will he? Well, joining me now is someone who's always been forthright in her views, even though her party Entered a coalition with the Conservatives. Steady on, Linda. I haven't introduced you yet. <laughs> okay, I'll have to now. It's Linda Jack. She is a senior member of the uh, Liberal Democrat Party, which was the coalition partner uh, with the Conservatives from 2010 to 2015. And she was one of the very, very few in the party that opposed the coalition. We'll find out why in a moment. The first question is, Linda, have you been? I'm okay, thank you. I'm very good. I'm actually speaking to you from um, deepest Sussex because I've got a friend who's poorly um, and I've been staying here for a couple of months helping look after her. So, yeah, I'm fine. Sussex, that's Just posh. Bleary eyed. <laughs> what oh, sounds look posh? Bleary -eyed. Oh, very, very posh, very posh. <laughs> well, it, it's great to have you on. First of all, uh, let's just understand what you have done in the Lib Dems and then why you opposed the deal 
and then we'll get into David Cameron. So, so okay. one of the jobs you've done in the Liberal Democrats, which oh. has been the third party, is currently the fourth yeah. party, I think, in, in the UK. Um, well, I'm uh, talk about always the bridesmaid, never the bride. I've been a parliamentary candidate. I've forgotten how many times, um, four or five times. I've been a police and crime commissioner um, candidate a few times. Um, I've been a European candidate um, a couple of times. So I've I've been a candidate quite a lot. I, I was actually a councillor many years ago, but I guess my main role that I had in within the party was I used to be on our federal policy committee, which is responsible mm -hmm. for, for developing policy in the party. Um, our conference committee and our international relations committee so you've so, been pretty so deeply embedded in in the party and you voted against the deal to enter a coalition back in 2010 when david cameron was the prime minister is that right i did indeed and i have to tell you and i think we spoke that night lembert um i have to admit i cried myself to sleep when i heard what happened it was like the worst nightmare ever and I couldn't see it, get, it being anything but a disaster for our party, which as we both know now, it truly was. Um, one of the things a friend of mine used to always say, we can be tough on, um, on values and then we can be loose on everything else. But all too often, we're loose on values and we're tough on everything else. And that's what really feared, uh, I really feared, that we were going to abandon our values. I mean... The most significant in terms of the message it gave, particularly to our young people, was our, our um, decision to go against what we said our policy was on tuition fees. But there were lots of things, you know, like the bedroom tax, like what we did um, to disabled people. You know, we were, we were part of that. And I know a lot of people will say, well, the Lib Dems tempered what the Tories were doing. Um, I don't think that's good enough i mean for me it was it would always have been a d disaster we were the junior partner we, we walked all over um and i think we were frankly used by the conservatives well as you say the conservatives uh, and lib dems were in coalition for five years and the lib dems paid the price sinking from 57 mm -hmm. members of parliament down to eight under the yeah. tremendously poor leadership of nick clegg some would say some would say <laughs> but uh that also means that you got an up close and personal look at David Cameron's performance. Did you meet him? No, I didn't ever, ever meet him. Um, I have to be honest, one of the times when I came very close to him was um, I served in Northern Ireland in the army and we had a, a big service at um, St. Paul's Church in, um, or Cathedral, sorry, in London. And all the party leaders were there. Um, and it always sticks in my mind because David Cameron and it was Gordon Brown at the time and Nick Clegg all sat together. And one of my memories of that is speaking to Nick afterwards, going up afterwards and saying hello, um, was that he had been very hurt that he had been blanked by David Cameron. He tried to make a conversation with him and he'd been blanked by him. And it wasn't that lot. My, uh, you know, much longer that we saw them both in the rose garden, and that for me it was like, oh, good gracious! You know, this this man really had no respect for you. Otherwise, he would have, you know, any decent human being would engage in a conversation, particularly given the circumstances that we were um, remembering the that those who'd fallen in Northern Ireland, those who'd served in Northern Ireland, um, 
and it was quite a serious event but actually you couldn't even bring yourself to talk to uh the the leader of the liberal democrats and it was as if he was you know something you picked up on your shoe so that stayed with me and i just felt that the, the the relationship that was portrayed in the rose garden as you will remember and all the rest of it was was a little bit disingenuous to be honest and it was it was us being used and they they made fools of us to be honest uh some would say that nick clegg uh was really only interested in power and, and didn't even follow a, a solemn promise made to oppose the introduction of tuition fees uh, and of course the party's still mm -hmm. paying the price for that is that because Nick Clegg was a pathetic leader or is that because David Cameron was an excellent and very crafty one? Um, as you know, I was very fond, <laughs> <laughs> I was very fond of, of Nick. I got on very well with him and, and, and he was a true liberal in many senses and we agreed on a lot of things, not everything. He was very, very much more to the right of the party than I was. Um, but one of one of the, you see, I never saw this coming. A bit like yesterday, really, I never saw it coming. Um, <laughs> I think one of the things that I always saw as a strength of his, which was why when our committee, Federal Policy Committee, agreed to go ahead with our existing tuition fee policy, which let's be honest, Nick didn't agree with, and Vince Cable at the time um, didn't agree with, and were very angry about that we that it had got passed through at, at conference and everything. My view was the man is pragmatic and he will do what is necessary. You know, he, he won't get into a, a lather about it. He'll accept we've voted this way. And I think it was that very pragmatism that meant that he was able to go into the coalition. He, it was a, a pragmatic decision. And, you know, let's be honest. I mean, obviously, it was an opportunity. The person I heard who actually absolutely loved it the most, and you can probably confirm or deny this, was... Uh, was Chris Hume that he loved his ministerial car and you know they were they were really buoyed up to start with it was wonderful you know to be in in Whitehall and sit and uh, I can remember going to a, a meeting with him and a load of bloggers and um, we were in his office in Whitehall and it's you know beautiful paintings on the walls and the finest china for your coffee and all the rest of it um, and he mm. was reveling and he and he said to yeah. to us all. Um, well, he said, I'm a half a glass half full kind of a guy, really. <laughs> a bit like Linda. Oh, uh, that... well, Linda, you don't agree with this. <laughs> and so, so I guess that's where I see him. So so that's where you fit in. Uh, we'll talk about Chris Hume, no doubt, on another occasion. He's a very yeah. interesting character in many ways. Uh, now, let's put what you've said about David Cameron into the context of what's just happened. Uh, I understand that uh, the party, the Lib Dems, were ruined uh, by that coalition. What should Rishi Sunak learn from his coalition, his voluntary coalition with David Cameron himself? Is there a risk that he'll be overshadowed in the same way that the Lib Dems were? I think there's no doubt he will be overshadowed um, because whatever I think of David Cameron, he is an, an, and he looks like an elder statesman with this shower, frankly. So he will, he will show up, I think, a lot of the faults that there are, you know, fault lines there are in, in Rishi Sunak's leadership. Um, I think where Rishi Sunak 
has taken the initiative in a sense. He has completely flummoxed everybody. We've all stopped talking about Suella Breverman, which would have been the story of the day yesterday, her going. Um, and everybody's like gobsmacked. This guy suddenly turns up again. I think he'll have to be very careful. I mean, Cameron is nothing if not a smooth operator. And I know, I mean, I listened to uh, George Osborne's and Ed Bull's podcast last night and um, uh, also, um, what's his face, R Rory um, Stewart and uh, Alistair mm. Campbell. It was quite interesting getting their, you know, obviously different takes on it. And George Osborne is very much, you know, well, this is a man who is, who, who is committed to public service and he's only doing this because of public service. I find that difficult to believe, to be frank. What's his motive then? What's his motive, Linda? What do you think it is? I, it may well be. I mean, it's, it's, it's not an old man, is he? I mean, he's got time to come back if he wanted to. It may be that he sees this as a potential route back that is testing the waters. How does this go? It's also, as you know, for particularly people in senior positions in in um, politics, it's often about power. Um and he's going to be interested to see if he can be the saviour of the Tory party. They clearly are worried about the Lib Dems in the blue wall seats. And they probably think, oh, yes, with, with him involved, it will convince people that actually, though, we're not quite as right wing as everybody thinks we are. And the, the way we've been betrayed by people like Suella Braverman. So I, I guess that's what he thinks. He can become the saviour of the party and potentially so, so, get back in. So the question maybe being asked from Australia through to Britain is this. What was Rishi Sunak thinking when he reappointed, reappointed not just the Prime Minister who failed to win a referendum on remaining in the EU, but appointed him to Foreign Secretary, which is the one job which all the Brexiteers wouldn't want him to do. Exactly. I mean, I just think it's... It's probably a bit of a kamikaze situation, really. It's like, oh, you know, I can't do anything worse. I can't make matters worse. Um, well, we'll see, won't we? But I, I just maybe that was it. He, and he just, he just thought, right, well, yeah, in for a penny, in for a pound. Um, and he obviously has had those conversations with Cameron over the last week or so, or however long it, it ago it was that he raised it, this with him. But you, the other thing I think he's got to bear in mind, and that certainly was part of the chatter yesterday, is, you know, there's a lot of question marks about Cameron and his financial affairs, which kind of died down after he left Parliament and, and stood down as Prime Minister, that they're going to all come up again. And that could give the the, the, the Tory party even more headaches. because Is it a possibility... Is it possible, finally, Linda, is it possible that Rishi Sunak is trying to, as you say, appeal to the Remain voters because he knows that the Liberal Democrats, which were a, a fiercely and intensely Remain party, are a very big threat, as you said, in many of his marginal seats? Yeah, I, and I think I, I do think that is probably the biggest consideration. I think <clears throat> they must more or less kind of resign themselves to the fact that the red wall seats a lot of them will be gone because those Just people... Explain, let's to explain to international listeners. Oh, Red Wall yeah. seats are seats where it's conservative, Labour mainly. But go ahead. Yeah, final point to you, Linda. Yeah, so, so Labour vote, traditionally Labour voters and Labour voting areas where a lot of the, um, the people there would have been pro-Brexit, that was still very much an issue. And, and also you had 
um, the, the last general election, you did have Boris Johnson and whatever we think about him, a lot of people uh, loved him and voted for him because he made them laugh. Um, so I'm going to stop you. I'm going to stop you on that laughter point, but we'll get you back again to talk more about it. Linda, thanks so much. We're just a bit out of time there. Uh, that's Linda Jack, Liberal Democrat, never a big fan of a coalition with the Conservatives, and wondering why Rishi Sunak has brought David Cameron back. What do you think? Wherever you are in the world, want to hear your point of view? Go to TNT Radio uh, Live. Join the chat. Coming up in the next hour, we'll talk more about this and also what's going on in the world of my fellow presenter Gemma Cooper. All of that with me, Lemmy Topic on TNT Radio. Thank you.